Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am TJ Van Toll, and we have another panelist episode here today. So I've got Jack Harrington with me. Hello. And Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everyone. So we've got a kind of a fun idea. The holidays are coming up, which is a a time that sometimes we often use for side projects or learning. Maybe you have some free time coming up. So we want to have a chat about different skills that we personally are interested in sort of learning or maybe that we'd recommend, you know, try to try to give you some ideas for things that you might find interesting to tinker with as you have free time here over the coming weeks and months. And to try to give some structure to this, we're going to do four different categories. So we're going to start with backend, uh, different backend stacks, front end, we've got project ideas will be our third one, and then just job skills. So like more maybe like soft skills or, or maybe even non-technical skills. That's that's our like Vegas bucket that we, <laughs> we will make up as we go. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. But we want to start going into these and we've got back end first. So who wants to to jump in and get our, our conversation started? Who's been meaning to tinker with some back end stuff? Well, I can jump in first. So one thing that I've been interested in and I really just haven't taken the time to get very comfortable with is is GraphQL. And I know that GraphQL yeah. has been around for quite a while, but my previous team worked with REST APIs, my current stack doesn't really include a lot of backend APIs. We don't have to query databases for much. So it's just something that really hasn't been high on my priority list. But there's a whole lot of really good tutorials out there. There's a lot of just good options for getting familiar with it. And I've played with it a little bit, like with Gatsby sites, where you have to use GraphQL queries to bring back blog posts or... I've done some tutorials in the past that have given me a taste of it, but I just really haven't built something big with it that would really help me to get to kind of solidify what I've learned. So it's something that I'm seeing more and more in job descriptions and things that people are talking about. And it really still is like the new thing for writing queries and mutations and bringing it all together in one endpoint. So it's definitely something that I think it would be a benefit for anybody who's in that kind of space or in in the API type world or frameworks to put their, put some time towards. And it's such an ecosystem. You get into it and it rewards you really quickly. There's There's clients, there's IDEs for it. Once you get your basic GraphQL server set up, if that's the way that you want to 
try it out. Or if you go to a public like Pokemon GraphQL server and just, just start <laughs> hacking around with it, you know, it is so easy to get into and it just rewards you immediately. There's some great, there's Apollo, there's Urkel on the client. There are, the, there's the tooling and, and it's just, just fantastic. And now it even supports subscriptions. So there's queries, there's mutations and there's subscriptions that I, I don't know many people know about, but it basically it's a real-time WebSocket type connection that when you ask, you know, when you make a change, you get a, you might might be subscribed to something and it will call you back essentially and say, hey, this has changed. And so you could do real-time applications like, like chat. You know, you could do it with GraphQL, which is super cool. Yeah, the one I'm I'm sort of my GraphQL skills sound very similar to yours, Paige. I've I've done like some hello world type things and I've seen some tutorials, but that's about it. I think what I've struggled with on that one is GraphQL, at least from the outside, seems kind of daunting to step in for something like a personal project. Like the the sense I've gotten with tinkering with it is it's best suited in more of like a bigger scale, maybe like more corporate environment where you have a bunch of APIs that you're trying to wrangle. And so it's been hard for me. I think it's one of the reasons I haven't gotten into it is like for my like yeah, my my types of apps lately are the Pokemon ones, right? And <laughs> like throwing a GraphQL backend on the other end of that seems seems a little bit much, right? So I, I've been trying to find a good situation where I can learn it without it feeling too contrived. Yeah, makes sense. All right, who's going to take backend number two? All right, I'll jump in. And if you aren't interested in doing GraphQL and you already know REST, you might want to try something like Firebase. I'm really into this real-time data updating type systems. And Firebase is that. You, you connect with your client, you make a change to a document or a collection, and automatically those changes get propagated to every other client that's listening. And it really creates this reactive system in your UI and in your back end that is just so much fun. Honestly, you you get to work with things and the question is not, you know, oh, do we have to take the overhead to make this particular part of the UI real time? Everything is real time, just just by extension, which is really cool. And it's a just great way to think about things. And it scales. Honestly, there are serious companies making big dollars on Firebase. And Firebase is not just that database anymore. There's authentication, there's object storage, so you can store images. There's all kinds of, there's URL, you know, mapping and forwarding. There's just all kinds of great stuff that's built into that, that Firebase ecosystem. I know, I think AWS also has something similar that's actually based on GraphQL, similar kind of idea, but you know, the one that I worked with was Firebase and I really, really enjoyed it. So if you want to try out something new, particularly good for your own projects, I would give Firebase a go. Yeah, I can second that. Firebase, I've, I've had a little bit of experience with it. And I just remember how pleasantly surprising it was to get up and running in no time at all. Cause I've definitely worked with other cloud providers like Pivotal and AWS in particular, where it's completely overwhelming to try and figure out what it is that you want to do and how to actually do it. But with Firebase, I do remember it being super simple to get connected to, to start a new project in, to then see what I was sending to it and make sure that it was the right shape. So I was really, really pleased with with how simple it was to get started with. That's a definitely a bonus. Yeah, I remember when I used it too, their, their backend is also real time, which is kind of on brand, but like 
you can what I mean by that is like you you hook things up to Firebase, you do something in your UI, and then if you have Firebase open another tab or another window, you start seeing your updates in the Firebase console, which I think it's to your point, Jack, of like there's a lot of power to real time for and I think for more apps than you might think, just being able to always see the most up-to-date data is really nice. And it's also hard to make something real time without something holding your hands too. Like <laughs> yeah. part of the part of the appeal of Firebase is that it's it has APIs for this sort of thing. And you try to do this yourself and it gets really hard really fast. Uh, <laughs> actually, because either you're like pulling the server every so often looking for changes, or you're setting up some sort of socket connection that is not easy to do when you get into like the server <laughs> pieces of that. Yeah. So it's definitely a fun thing. And, and real time stuff is also really satisfying when you get it to work. Like it just there's something that just feels really good about like changing something in, in one window and like seeing it update in the other automatically. It's just a very satisfying feeling. Mm hmm. And to that point, there's also there's Firebase functions. And so you can have a Firebase server function that subscribes to like a user's channel. And so when you add or a new user, right, that Firebase function gets triggered and then maybe sends out an email automatically. And so, yeah, not only are the clients reactive in real time, but the server is too. And it's just so cool to think about your architectures being real time as opposed to being very pole driven. Yeah, it sounds almost like a pub sub type of model. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Cool. Well, I, I think I am last for the back end stuff. So I'm going to pick something that I guess is debatably back end. We can debate labels, but I'm going to pick Next.js. And this is another one I feel similar to GraphQL in that its stock is very much rising. Mm. I, I think both figuratively and literally, because I think they just <laughs> raised like 20 some million dollars or something insane. Uh, so they'll be funded for a while. But it's a tech, if you haven't heard of it before, it's basically a full stack React framework. So it's, it's kind of like React++. So it does a lot of stuff to help you build with server side tech and whatnot. And Paige knows this, but we have a big Next.js based repository that we use in Blues that I spend a lot of time in. And it's kind of a testament to Next that I can be productive there without knowing the ins and outs of the framework, because it is just like React++. So a lot of these things are familiar. A lot of what I work in is just things like markdown files. But there's also a lot of stuff going on that I would like to understand more, because sometimes you do need to know how this thing works and how it parses different files and how the, the server side and, and, uh, and front end capabilities work together. And that's something I've never sat down to actually learn. So sometimes that takes me by surprise. So I'd like to actually do the time to like properly learn how this stuff is working because I, I do actually have a practical reason to know it now. So uh, that, that's been on my list for a while. Next is awesome. It supports basically every rendering mode you, that you'd want to do, whether it's on the client or the server. It does the static stuff. It does the incremental rebuild of the static stuff. And you, they've got whole, that whole deployment mechanism for Versal, which is just phenomenal. Like if you want to get into React and you want to do it at a production level, I think Next is the clear choice for how to get into it. Yeah, the only thing I could say to, to kind of piggyback off of that is the biggest... I think 
benefit or one of the biggest benefits to Next is the server side rendering. Because if you want to get up and running with a React app with next to no configuration on your end, probably create React app is still the fastest way to do that. But it leaves out some of the stuff that's so important to building an app of any size and scale, which is routing. You have to choose React Router DOM and setting up a backend server if you need to pull in data from any API or REST endpoint or GraphQL or whatever. It doesn't have any of that built in, whereas Next is ready to do that from the get-go. And the server-side rendering, though, and the SEO benefits that that can provide, I think, are two of the really the biggest benefits to using something like Next. So if you have a website that is not an internal-facing website, basically anything that customers or people just on the internet are going to want to find and visit, probably Next is going to be a much better option for you. But if you are working on maybe an internal tool for your company or something that's behind a firewall or just something that the general public might not really be interested in, you might go with Create React App, but probably just for everybody's benefit, Next is really the thing to go for nowadays. Yeah, the routing built into it is just great. Yeah, and the, like the new stuff they have for image management is really, really slick. Also, it's basically like uh, if you've ever hated having to optimize images and figure out how to process all that, it basically just magically does it for you. <laughs> so it's it's pretty slick. And our our site for blues is pretty like content and image heavy. So all this stuff related to SEO and like performance and that is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Well, even if you choose to use like an image provider, like a CDN, like Cloudinary or Optum Image or something like that. There's so many people who are doing similar things that there's really good integration between them. And with just a few lines in your own code base, you can basically be be using it, which is fantastic. And Next is coming out with a new release, what, every six months now or so? And, and they're big like releases. They're, yeah, they're adding serious features every six months. So it, it is the most, certainly the most active ecosystem I know of in the React space. It's almost hard to keep up with because we just yeah. did an upgrade <laughs> to Next like, 11. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody <laughs> just posted yesterday that they saw an upgrade coming for Next 12 in the not too distant future. But they never break you. I mean, well, okay, so <laughs> not <breaks> big. <laughs> so let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. So that is backend. So we, we promised four four different sort of buckets of skills. So we were doing backend, frontend, projects, and then job skills. So why don't we move on to frontend stuff? And does anybody want to kick us off there? I'll kick us off. How about that? So that'll keep, you know, TJ, that'll give you some time to think about yours. So <laughs> I, I came prepared, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So my frontend pick is SVG. And it's, it's sort of the language within the language. So you got HTML, but then you've got this unbelievably powerful image build or, or yeah, image building system, I would say, which is SVG inside of every browser. And it's, I've always thought of it as essentially just a headless Photoshop literally built into your browser. It can do all of the filtering that you can do in kind of a stock Photoshop. And you can build these tremendous tremendously complex visualizations in a way where they scale to any image size. You don't have to worry about uh, retina displays or anything else. You can just start drawing, you know, lines and Bezier curves and it just works. 
and it's just so nice. Um, and it works well within React. So you can go and build out a component that has, you know, an SVG bar graph in just a few minutes, and then you can go and animate it using whatever kind of animation libraries you want or CSS animations. It's just, it's another dialect. So it's definitely worth spending that time to get familiar with. But once you get there, wow, it's just incredibly powerful. And it's, it's really cool that it's actually built into every browser now. So when you say learn SVG, are you talking about learning the actual like syntax, like the tags yeah. you put like in a .svg file? Well, in the components, in in a in the tags that you put embed on the page, so you know your SVG tag, and then within that your you know your rect and circle and line and all of those the basic you know kind of component elements, and there's also text and everything else. In fact, actually, I think it was Flipbook was rendering their text for their displays in SVG, which I thought, oh, no, they were using Canvas. Okay, well, that would be my second thing. You didn't want to learn SVG, then learn Canvas. But uh, yeah, so it's just incredibly performant. Yeah, it's interesting stuff because I've, I've always been aware that there is a syntax behind that. But personally, I've always treated SVG more or less like generated code. Like to me, it might as well be byte code, right? I get, a, <laughs> I get an SVG file. That's great. It goes on my CDN and then I point to it. (laughs) My designer gives it to me. I add it to the project. It renders. We go on. (laughs) I'm great at putting SVG files in folders, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is one way to actually learn it. You can use like an SVG building tool and say like, oh, okay, how do I go? You know, I'm going to write a rectangle. I want a rectangle here. How do you save it out as SVG? And then that basically tells you what the syntax is for a rectangle. And you can just copy and paste that into your React code, change some of the values to be state as opposed to being, you know, kind of generated or hard-coded. And boom, you know, that it basically teaches yourself how to do SVG. Do you have any tools that you might recommend for that, Jack? Um, Ilust- <laughs> I'm an Adobe guy, so I mean, I might also be <laughs> Illustrator. But I, I think there are some off-the-shelf. Uh, actually, no, come to think of it, there's a really cool extension that I've been using lately in my YouTube videos called draw.io. And there's an extension built into VS Code and you can basically create any file called a, with a DIO extension and it brings up a diagram and you can start like diagramming out, you know, oh, this is my client and this is how it connects to the server. And it's kind of like OmniGraffle or Visio, one of those. And then you can export that to SVG or PNG and then you could use that to check out to see what how that works. As cool. far as I know, it writes pretty clean code. Nice. So I will jump in with another one for the front end. And this is kind of, I guess this is a little bit along the same lines. You kind of inspired me with your SVG ideas. And that's CSS animations, which is something that I have dabbled in usually very briefly. And it's for simple things like sliding a sidebar in or sliding a page down or, you know, just really easy animations. But I love when people go that extra mile and put in cute little animations, like, you know, you hover over a button and maybe it changes colors or it it enlarges a little bit or just different things when you mouse around on the page. I love those kind of things. And I wish that I worked for companies where that was a higher priority, the kind of little delightful things. But, you know, most companies are like get the feature done, get it out into production <laughs> and move on to the next one. 
But I think that that stuff is really fun. So one thing that I've had my eye on and just haven't taken the time to learn is it's called a green sock. And it's kind of like one of the de facto, super detailed animation libraries that's out there for really taking almost making like animations like you'd see for cartoons or videos that you then just put onto a website, but it's actually with DOM elements and CSS and you're in control of all of that. So that's, that's something that I'd love to learn more about. And I think that as a developer, if you can say that you have decent experience with something like that, it could definitely help to set you apart from somebody else to just say, yes, I I know how to do this already. Here's some really cool, cute examples of stuff I've done in code pens or in on websites for clients or things like that. I think it could really help you stand, stand apart from the crowd. Yeah, I've got a fun story for you. So related to CSS animations, my kids, so I have, I have twin 10-year-olds. And the other day, for the very first time, they asked me about like web development and how to do something. So of Ooh. course, like my parenting, what, like, like, Boom, right? Like, okay, well, I've yeah. got to seize on this opportunity, right? <laughs> of course. And they wanted to, because they got this idea from something at school, you know, who knows the way the kids' brains work, but they wanted to build something where image basically just moved around the screen, right? That's yeah. what, and they wanted me to show them how to do it. And so my first thought was, oh, like I, you know, my bread and butter is the web. I was going to show them some basic like CSS animation, right? Is the easiest way to do this. So we went in there and I got to writing it and I realized I couldn't remember the syntax for CSS animations to save my life. <laughs> and so a lot of what we ended up doing is just me Googling the syntax. <laughs> and it's like, hey, I was teaching them the the keyboard shortcuts for copy and paste and and things like that. So they, they get some, some fun stuff out of that. But I'm uh, same thing, right? Like I've done CSS animations before, but I do it so infrequently that I never remember anything. And I Google the same things and go to the and. <laughs> having some of that basic knowledge would be nice so that I'm, uh, I I could be more creative and I don't know, know what I'm doing when these sorts of things come up. Yeah, they're easy yeah. to learn. They're also easy to forget. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's those things that you use once in a blue moon, but every time you go back to the source material to do it again. Yep. And it's like things like that. Like I don't mind forgetting the syntax because I don't need like meaningless strings per se in my head, but more like, I think if you know some of the techniques behind it, then you know sort of how to ap- approach problems like this when you have them. And that's the sort of stuff that I wish I had down more so that I was more productive and could build more higher, higher quality stuff, I guess. And I think Paige is right. You love those moments of delight and companies love to have those little moments of delight. My only hope is that just keep them short, please. <laughs> like I've yeah. got this, this one little... Food place. There was one little restaurant that we go to over nearby. It's a Mediterranean place, and I swear they they have this like little 500 millisecond expando thing where it's like I can't order until it's expandoed like that. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I get it, guys. It was great. Well done. You know, you did you did a great animation there. But can you just make it 200 milliseconds and not 500 milliseconds? I just want to order lunch, please. My pet peeve is with people really drink the Kool Aid on scrolling animations. Oh. So like. Like some of it is fun, right? You scroll down and something like quickly pops in, like it can be done right. But some people like really go all out, right? Where you can't <laughs> see anything until you start scrolling and then craziness happens. And like, I don't know, that's that's sort of my old man pet peeve <laughs> rant. 
The other one is parallax. I remember when that was done mm. to death and everybody had yeah. parallax and yeah. Again, done subtly, it can be like a fun, nice, delight thing, but mm-hmm. people that did it tend to not do it subtly. Something about the like Venn diagram of people that are <laughs> like that that's appealing to and the people <laughs> who do it. Yeah, it's <laughs> often overdone. Yeah, I get people ask me to review the resumes and then they'll have the whole parallax thing and they're like, um, I just want to see <laughs> your portfolio links, please. Like, just. All right, well, I'm going to keep the, the CSS theme going here because my pick for the front end is going to be Tailwind. And Ooh. I say that somewhat begrudgingly because I've been like a sort of anti-Tailwind person. I've, I've moved from being like anti-Tailwind to moderate about it to now like, but the context here is I, I've spent the last few months working on a dashboard project and I, I found myself like struggling with CSS yet again in terms of, I guess just I spent a lot of time having to have like two windows open where I had my markup and my CSS and like the going back and forth between that and constantly in my head kept popping up like Tailwind is kind of helps with this because you're mm-hmm. like putting your your styles are largely like class names and that would help significantly here and i kept having those thoughts and i was stubborn so that project i did not use tailwind and i think like i need to give it a good solid go so that i have some experience using it so i have a more i guess more informed opinion when those situations come up in the future of whether it's a good idea to use it or not because i've been such a hater for so long that (laughs) I haven't I haven't given it a proper chance in a real project, so it's been on my list. I love it. I just head over heels fall in, in love with it. Maybe that's a bad thing, but I it, it's just so easy to just say, okay, well you need a little bit more margin on the top of this particular box or you know, make these movies apart and you just add one class and away you go. And then when you pair it with something like that MPM library CLSX, so you can actually make them conditional, it just gets super powerful, super fast. And you can just go, once you get the kind of fluency with it, you just start cranking through things in a way that, where initially, like you see a button and it's got like 15 class names on it. You're like, oh my God, this is crazy. But you know, after you get fluent with it, it feels really good. And you, you actually start to understand it and can decode it. Yeah. Cause I'm realizing like the button with 15 class names looks horrible, <laughs> but also the like the div. The div that's got like six custom CSS rules and mm. you have to make up a stupid class name for this div because <laughs> building like a box for a dashboard and like, what do you call these stupid divs, right? Containers. Like, call it, like, How many variants yeah. on containers Rappers. can you have? Rappers, well, then, but it comes, yes. but then, you know, you're, you're having fun when you're writing container outer and container inner. <laughs> oh, no. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like things like things like that, too. And it's like, but I need this because this div has to exist for this reason, right? Like there are certain CSS times where you hate writing divs, but there are legitimate reasons to have a couple layers of nested divs, but they only exist like for one CSS rule to be applied and you have to make up a weird class name. And I've sort of come to the conclusion that that those sort of utility classes are are really nice for that sort of thing. Like I even find myself making some like custom tailwind like classes for dealing with those sorts of scenarios yeah it's also really good for that layout stuff like flex and grid so easy to just be able to say oh i just need a grid right here okay grid x flex yeah yeah i've recently started using bootstrap again because it's in one of our projects at work and it's i think it's quite similar to how tailwind functions now where you just basically add 
different classes to a bootstrap element, and it just takes care of the underlying CSS, which when I can remember the syntax is convenient. I still haven't quite mastered it, so I'm in the docs a lot when I'm working with it, but it is pretty pretty handy when you can just say text center and everything just centers itself up really nicely. <laughs> well, one last thing. You should really get that VS Code integration going. So there's also Tailwind VS Code extensions. And so oh. as, you, as you type in like, you know, BG Blue, it'll actually like hint you to all the, it'll just even show the different shades of, of blue or whatever your background color is. And there was really just really nice. And when when you do like MT for margin top 10, it'll tell you, oh, this is going to end up being, I don't know, two rem or whatever that's going to translate into. So it's just oh, really, that's handy. It's really, really handy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm putting going. this in our show notes now because I had no idea this thing existed. Oh, no, you got to get that. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you're even even interested in Tailwind without that. Because otherwise, <laughs> jumping back and forth between the Tailwind cheat sheet and VS Code is blah. <laughs> yep. Are you ready for core web vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your core web vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by timeframe, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provide so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Visit raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's raygun.com for your free 14-day trial. All right. So we to go back to our overall theme of the show. So I was going to say if you're just joining us, but if you're randomly zooming to the middle of the podcast, it's sort of strange. <laughs> but we're, we're discussing random skills for the holidays just to set the context here again. And we've got four categories back end, front end, which we just covered. And we're now going to go over projects that we're considering building, and then like a various sort of job related skills. So any projects you two are planning on building, working on over the holidays or in the near term? Well, one project that I'm kind of interested in, and I had this idea a couple of years ago and then put it down because I didn't need it, was building a chat application. And it's mostly so I can be better at WebSockets because I've I used WebSockets, you know, three or four or five years ago, and it was just a one-time use. And then I put it away and nev- never have needed to touch WebSockets again. But more and more, I've had conversations with people where polling is a possibility, WebSockets is a possibility, PubSub models are a possibility where you have a publisher and a subscriber. And I feel pretty confident about the PubSub and the polling because I've used those, you know, since then. But WebSockets, I've heard such good things about how it's kind of progressed recently and become even easier to get going with. So that's something that I think would be cool to to play around with again and see see what I can get stood up in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, the last time I played with sockets, which admittedly was several years ago, I remember the front end bit not being too bad at all. Like it's a pretty simple API, but the actual server integration, and this might just be because that's you know skill set wise what I'm less comfortable with, but I remember that being hard. 
And so I, I believe that's when I used Firebase to bring this around. There you the go. First. Exactly. <laughs> it's one of our first let, our Just first let Firebase tips. do it for you. Yeah. So I, I believe I chose in that project to let Firebase handle my problems for me. But I would be curious how, how far that's come because it's been a long time since I've dug in. Yeah, same here. So I'm kind of curious about that. And, you know, once you get some sort of a chat going, then you can start thinking about, do we persist this? Like, how would I build basically the chat that's on my phone, like WhatsApp or iMessage or something like that. And that could be quite interesting or it could be quite frustrating. We'll see (laughs) when I actually get to it. But there's a lot of things that you can start to then consider once you've kind of got that back and forth real-time communication going. And it's also cool about how you model it, like your internal state on a client. Like I've gotten some questions recently about how to integrate WebSockets with Redux as an example. You know, how, what's the best way to do that? Are you, have, are you just dispatching an action for all the times that you're getting updated? Does the Redux store actually have the socket connection? Where do you store the socket connection? There's, like, oh, man, there's, there's some interesting little gotchas up on the client that are worth working through. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, my idea for a holiday break thing would be a multiplayer game. So using the web. And oh, man. Yeah, right? Well, that I mean, you, you can, you can make it easy. You know, it's, an a- a- it's, it's fun. It's like an afternoon hard. project. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it depends on how hard the game is, I suppose. <laughs> Much, how, you know, if it's just tic-tac-toe, that would be something. But uh, there's a, a YouTuber out there, Anya Kubau, who I'm, I don't know if I'm getting the right last name pronounced correctly, but um, she's awesome. And she, the way that she teaches is always through games. And that's the way I learned how to code, was, in, it was through games. And I think that's a very... Very, very interesting to folks. And if you want to have something that, that looks cool on your resume, like a nice game, like a nice project, portfolio project, having one that people can, one, go and look at the GitHub code on after they play it, you know, it, that's actually pretty cool. And you could do all kinds of things. You could just do like it, you need a, a game, really. You can do something along the lines of like, um, like a, which which puppy is cuter thing you know have you know an array of puppies and you you, everybody (laughs) votes on them and then there's like a a running tally of which one's the cutest puppy and you after a couple of days you expire old votes and things and so it's always fresh things like that it's cute cute little ideas like that which are great portfolio projects but also great to build your skills so the multiplayer bit will that be web sockets to help oh yeah bring this around yeah you you want you know real time right so you want to know when when somebody uh, makes a move or whatever. So yeah, it has to be websites or well, I guess polling, but ugh, you don't want to do that. Yeah, no, probably, probably just a screaming connection through WebSockets. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, cause I, I'll second the idea of like, I also learned to code largely through games and I, I probably played a factor. It was one thing I listed on my resume when I had no real world experience. So whether it helped or not hard, you know, who knows, but it, it definitely helped me learn. And I think just as a broader point, like, I think we've, we're discussing a lot of skills here, but really for you listening to this, anything that's fun for you to build with and work with, it's going to be way more interesting to, to sort of tinker with than if you approach this like a test or like a, a school project that you have to do, right? It should be something that you want to do or you're interested in because you're just going to have a lot more fun and you're actually going to learn more with that. So I, Something I always try to keep in mind whenever I'm looking at these sorts of skills, too, is like, which of these things do I kind of want to build or can I build something that I think is fun with? Mm -hmm. And nowadays, you can deploy these things for free. 
and you yeah. can show them to your your friends, your family, the, your kids. You're like, hey, check it out. Vote on these puppies or whatever. And they're like, oh, that's fun. You know, it's like, look, I built that. You know, you could build something like that. That could be cool. Yeah, to-do apps are a great starter project, but there's so much more that you could do that would be more interesting to everybody. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Show a kid a to-do app. They're like, great. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really, really good. Thanks. <laughs> I really enjoy the markdown you use there, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason my kids came to me and asked to have something move around the screen and didn't come to me. It's going like, look, I'm looking for something to to manage uh, tasks that we have to do around the house. And I, re- cause I really want to learn about state management, right? Like, it's <laughs> Yeah, can you help me with my chores, <laughs> Good Dad? luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been looking to get into like algorithms and such. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think I, I'm going to use fun as a segue here if that if that works, because my my project idea and I'm, I'm going to p- position this kind of generally for everybody else, but just IoT stuff in general. And I say that personally because I have some personal interest in this. Paige and I work for a company called Blues Wireless. We make a bunch of IoT stuff. So I've been diving into it lately. But I'll say that for your average person listening to this, maybe you have no IoT experience, you just work on sort of React and web apps, you'd be surprised how easy the basics are. The IoT world is deep, you can get into some really hard stuff. There are people that specialize and make careers out of this. So I don't want to trivialize some of this. But you'd be surprised how quickly you could take something like a Raspberry Pi, some Python code, which is easier than you'd expect for the, again, the basics, right? To get some basic things to do, uh, hook up some sort of sensor or some sort of button or some sort of display and solve some interesting problem that you have in your life. So I I worked on over the last few months on and off a project where I set up a camera in my yard and the camera was connected to a Raspberry Pi and I set up a motion sensor so that it would take a picture when it detected motion. And then I would try to analyze that photo using some, uh, this was actually the biggest problem with the project, try to analyze it and look for animals. So the idea was, I'm trying to catch these things that are eating my yard and digging holes (laughs) in my yard, partially so that I know what's eating things in my yard and digging holes in my yard. And uh, to this point, all it's done is catch squirrels. So I have some nice <laughs> pictures of squirrels in my yard. That's really cool. I'm, I'm um, which I'm which sorry. is kind of cool. Like I, I hooked it up so that it takes pictures of squirrels, and there's something satisfying about seeing like I actually detected and got this picture of this squirrel. It's kind <laughs> of kind of actually fun. But I want to. So you know, we're in the topic of projects. So I want to continue to work and optimize this because. Right now, the reason I'm getting only pictures of squirrels is because it turns out machine learning is quite heavy for like a small little Raspberry Pi. And so there are more efficient ways of doing it that I'm going to look into. There's also the option of I could take the pictures I take from the Pi and like send them to something more processor capable so that I can the Pi is like tied up. Like my Pi also turns into a small space heater while it's running this because <laughs> it's running these machine learning <laughs> models. But this is someone I came into this knowing absolutely like next, basically nothing about this world. And I was able to throw it together in a month or two. So if you have some idea around something that you want to build in the IoT space, I'd recommend checking it out because there is something satisfying about if you work in software all day to build something real and to put it out somewhere and have it do something. It's it's kind of satisfying and you'd be surprised how much of your skills from the front end world can 
translate to, to actually solving a problem there. Yeah, I would totally yes. second that. And one thing that I've found, because I've been playing with Raspberry Pis, although not, I don't have as much time with it as TJ does, because he gets to do this as part of his job, is that there is some really good remote debugging tools or even remote connection tools that VS Code offers. So if you have a Raspberry Pi running on your local network, VS Code has this awesome little plugin that helps you remotely connect to it. And then you can use VS Code just as you would on a regular in your on your computer, but on your Pi, which is super helpful for writing code and testing it out. I'll recommend that extension if you need to do SSH in general, because I know Back in the day when I worked for a hosting company, we had all of our dev servers were remote and we had to SSH into them. <laughs> and it was hell setting those up. Mm. And man, like I would have loved to have this extension because like, I feel like this is a constant theme running throughout the show too. There's a great DS code extension for like <laughs> half, of, half of what we're doing. <laughs> but if you there need, are. Yeah. yeah. But if you need to SSH into anything, they absolutely nailed the developer experience. Like you basically, you you enter your credentials, it saves it. And then it's basically like you're working in a local environment. You have a terminal, you have the the, the your files in the sidebar. It's it's really, really awesome. And that works for Raspberry Pi and, and, and that's great. Please don't SSH into your web server and your web server stuff. Just use Docker, please. Don't make, <laughs> don't make web servers that you fall in love with. But uh, along the Christmas or the the holiday theme, I actually, I think three years ago, I built out a particle Arduino little breadboard that was connected to a bunch of LED programmable light strips. And you can individually access every single LED on the line. And then every year I go and I wrap this thing around my front porch and we have a light display and it's it's cute. You know, and I think it was tax tag and title probably a hundred bucks. You know, nice. Like, yeah, and you know, you figure amortized over four years, or whatever, and all the the joy of annoying my neighbors. Uh, it's <laughs> it's great. And the cool thing is the particle ecosystem. You can actually fire off rest events into their ecosystem. The little the particle itself is connected to your Wi-Fi, so you can actually talk to the the particle, and then you get it to respond to events. And so that means that you can actually put a a web interface on it, and people can just go to your website and say, hey, well, I want the rainbow pattern or whatever. Or they could, you could connect up to Discord and have, you know, Discord people, you know, put in a chat message that would make it change. And maybe you'd have like a, a, a webcam on it. Just, just super cool, crazy, fun stuff like that. And that I love those projects. They're great. Yeah, exactly. Like you could use your web skills to build like really any, a lot of good IoT projects have something web, whether it's like a controller app or a way, whether it's a way of showing your data. So like, you can build something to collect data and then build, use your web skills to, to either let people control it or visualize it or whatever the case is. And it's, it's super fun. Yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's actually, I'm sorry. That's the part that I think people forget is that once you've got whatever it is collecting the data, then you actually have to put it in a cloud somewhere and do something fun with it mm -hmm. or do something, you know, not necessarily fun, but useful with it. And that's where all the web web development comes in is yep. now I have this data, do something that makes sense with it. Yeah, and if you're a React person listening to a React project, that's where you've got the leg up on people. Most people can't take that data and do something fun with it. And you've, mm -hmm. you've already got those skills. There you go. <laughs> all right, why don't we move into our, our fourth and final topic or bucket of skills today. This one's the most nebulous. I think it's open for 
which which you all want to put into it. So what just random job skills are you looking to work on over the next few months? I can start this one off. One thing that I am looking to to work on over the next few months is my presentation skills. And one thing that's really cool about working for a small company is that there's a lot more opportunities to do things like this because we don't have enough people to do anything. So when one person is bogged down, you'll often get asked, hey, can you do something? Like one thing that we have is called Blues TV. And it's these short little segments that one of our designers, who is also an actor, has started putting together where he is basically like a CNN news anchor except he's talking about stuff that's related to our company. So new products or interviewing customers who have been using our products and having good success or things like that. And since he's only one person, one of our marketing team members asked if I would be interested in coming on and hosting like a once every two to three weeks segment where I talk about something that I've been building on the engineering side. So we did our first interview the other day, and I talked about how quickly you can get up and running with Internet of Things technology, especially when you're using some of our tools, because they take away a lot of the hard parts about collecting the data and getting it up into a cloud somewhere that you can then pull that data into your own application. So that's that's something that I really didn't have the opportunity to do at Home Depot because we were so large and everybody really had like their project and their swim lane. So now that I do have more of a a chance to do this, I really want to make it good. I want to get better at presenting and, you know, teaching people how to do some of the stuff that I've been learning to do and show them how quickly they can get started with some of this stuff. So that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to making more segments for and and kind of improving my skill set on. That's awesome. There's a Coursera skill, a Coursera course that I took a little while back and they actually you post videos that you've done and you get feedback from other folks in the course. It was just really really great. Uh, and, and there's obviously Toastmasters and, and those you know, places. So yeah, definitely worth doing. Awesome. Yeah. One thing I'd recommend because I did this once several years ago is to actually either try to find like um, Jack mentioned, like p- courses or places that'll give you feedback or even like hiring a speaking coach. Like there are people out there where you can send, here's an example of me speaking and they'll give you feedback off it. And I think one of the reasons why that works is it's hard to get honest feedback about presentations you give because no one wants to be that person that tells you like, oh yeah, that sucked, right? Like, <laughs> no, um, nobody like, ever will. No, yeah, exactly. Like, so if you just ask coworkers or whatever, you're you're not likely to get honest feedback. Whereas if you reach out to someone who specializes in it, not only do they have an eye for this sort of thing, because they pointed out some things to me that I did not think about or not realize I was doing, but also you come in with the expectation of you're going to get critical feedback from it. So it's less awkward for them to bring it up. And it also doesn't feel like they're attacking you or anything. So it sort of lowers that barrier. So I'd recommend that for anybody that's trying that trying that out, because I, I found that it helped. Cool. All right, well, I'll chip in. I, I'm going to spend some time learning more about machine learning. I, I think that's a great you know, skill. And I'm hoping to get to the point where I feel more comfortable with the math element, because I think on the theoretical side of how it all works together and what you know, data sources and cleaning up data sources, I got that pretty much nailed. But uh, all the, the math around how 
things are activated and the activation equations and things like that. That that still eludes me. So maybe spending some time, you know, learning how that works and also picking the brain of my daughter, who's a math expert, you know, math whiz, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because she, she does differential equations for breakfast. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> But yeah, and it's a, and it's a huge job skill. Like nowadays, like you've got that. Like and that's a great yeah kind of lifestyle in tech. You know, you're building out these models. You're not necessarily on the front end of the page duty uh, when the when the website crashes. You know, it's it's you know oh I'm not getting the right you know, you're not recommending the right shoe. You know, okay, that's that's not yeah. You know, that's we can get there. We can fix that kind of thing. Yep, I ran into this. I mean, I, I ran into this with my animal project because the thing that detects whether something is in the picture is an ML model. And mm. I was sort of restricted because I didn't know a lot about it. So like, because I needed to find a more a way of building that model and making it more efficient. And since I don't have a background in ML, like that was painful. So this is one that should maybe be on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> I think TensorFlow handles a lot of this complexity for you, but you know, you're still like rummaging around in the dark if you don't understand kind of what it's doing underneath the hood. All right. Well, I think I can wrap us up. We are in the, the, I think this is our very, very last one. So mine is probably not generally applicable, but I want to learn some basics of electrical engineering. This, this gets into like, I'm doing some more IOT stuff. And as I mentioned, the basics are quite easy, but then it gets hard. So I'm getting to the point where it's getting hard (laughs) stage. And I'm finding that not knowing some things like I, I kind of have to know how to solder and like understand like resistors and how those works. And since I have no background with that stuff whatsoever, that I am in a spot for my work that knowing some of that stuff, just the basics would help me out significantly. Cause right now it's my strategy is like pinging smart people at work <laughs> who have a background in this and it could help me. And I'm realizing that doesn't scale super well. And I'm feeling. <laughs> feeling like I'm annoying people by by not knowing some of the stuff. So I've been meaning to learn some of that. And I, I plan on digging into that a bit. Soldering is one of those things where if you cheap out on it, you will get way more frustrated than if you just mm-hmm. spend some decent money on a decent soldering system. If you go and you get your, your $10 USB thing, give me dripping <laughs> stuff all over the place, you're going to think you're the worst <laughs> soldering person in the world. And it's really, honestly, it's just a bad soldering you know it's you can't the control them it's the tools and i know it's like the whole like a poor person and whatever poor craftsman blames the tools but eh, in this case you know, <laughs> spend, spend the extra money you know buy the hundred dollar you know soldering station you know and the little the sucker thing that will solder and pull solder away from where you've globbed it down watch a few youtube videos on technique and I, i'm sure it'd be fine yeah, uh, I've got the sucker now because oh, I've good. discovered so I can undo mistakes. That's so I'm like at a one. You gotta have that. Now. You gotta have undo. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's got the command Z, Z for the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the command Z of solder. Exactly. <laughs> I yes. like it. Well, you'll have to let us know once you start to get into that if you found some really good resources for electrical engineering. I, I want to see pictures of these squirrels. No. <laughs> Oh, I can show you the squirrels pictures. Uh, I've got a, <laughs> okay. I've got a write up on where I went so far. So I'll, I'll share it with you two and I'll throw it in the, uh, show notes Fantastic. as well. So if anybody wants to see it, it's, uh, the pictures are very underwhelming. There are, <laughs> there are squirrels, but I'm just going to warn you. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a squirrel that sits up in the tree right above the kitchen and just, just looks at us. He's just like up there, like I'm, I'm watching you. And you're like, 
Okay. Well, <laughs> Aren't you supposed are, to be going digging around the yard finding stuff? Isn't that your job? <laughs> like, why are you watching me? Our, <laughs> our yard is full of walnut trees, so it's basically oh, like heaven for well, a squirrel. I, yeah, you're done. They're they're everywhere. So it's like I could take a picture and it's sometimes hard to not get a picture of a squirrel because they're <laughs> they're absolutely everywhere. Feasting time. Well, cool. This has been a lot of fun. Why don't we go ahead and so we I feel like we've been doing picks for this entire show. <laughs> but what when I end up with some totally, I guess maybe non-tech related picks to wrap this up. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation how do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Paige, you want to kick us off? Sure. My pick this week is going to be for a company called Bottomless Coffee. And I was <laughs> recently, they reached out to me, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. And the thing that's kind of unique about them is that they, in addition to sending you coffee, they send you a smart scale that you put your coffee on. And then the scale over time keeps track of the weight of your coffee and how it decreases as you're using it. And it it uses machine learning again to figure out okay. when to send you a replacement or a refill, which is it's quite accurate. Actually, we just ran out of coffee today. And I think that I just got a text message from Bottomless that they have delivered our coffee today. And they sent, you know, a couple of days ago, they sent an email saying, we're going to order you some more and ship it to you. And so far, it's been really great. They even have an option where you can say, I like a particular roast of coffee, like I like dark coffee or I like medium roast or light roast. And they'll just send you a rotation of different ones Ooh. every time. And you can thumbs up it if you want it to get it more often, or you can say, don't send this to me again. I didn't really care for it, whatever the case may be. But it's pretty much the same as buying coffee, a bag of coffee from probably Starbucks or the grocery store, maybe. So, you know, it's kind of cool that I don't have to think about it. It just sends it to my house. And so far, it's been really, really good about not letting me run out. So 
I would I would say it's it's pretty cool. And if you if you like that sort of thing and trying new roasts and flavors and stuff, check out Bottomless. It's pretty neat. I feel like it would coffee shame me. Like it's time you're you're drinking too much coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know. (laughs) They do sell (laughs) they sell different sizes. So if you do like the five pound bag of coffee, they have that. (laughs) Probably so. All right. Well, my pick for this week is a another VS Code extension. Look at that. Oh, man, you know, this it's, is, it's crazy. This one is PonyCode, P-O-N-I Code. And it's a unit test builder that is kind of like GitHub Copilot, but for unit tests. It basically it, it inspects the code that you want to test and then sees what parameters it's going to take. If it looks at the parameters and sees things like, you know, first name and last name, and it fills in appropriate values for you or telephone number. And then you can literally just like in their little UI kind of say, okay, well, run these and you get the value back and say, okay, that looks good. Make the test. And they're even doing a thing now where they're actually doing some command line integration. And I did a video on this a while back and they're just, there's just a really great little company. They're in France and uh, they're super friendly and they, they, we're very effusive in their thanks for doing the video. <laughs> and uh, it's just, if, if you aren't the kind of person who really is a, a consistent tester, I think it will get you into understanding how to build those tests and get you to where you feel confident in your code through testing. Cool. Very fun. All right. My pick is very random this week, but it is for something called Arnica Cream. It's like a natural. Yeah, it's very random. For those of you listening, Jack just gave me quite the face, but it's, it's one of those like natural. Is it going like, coffee? It's just <laughs> not going coffee, but it is based off of it's it's some plants. So I, I, it actually is if you get just the raw thing edible, but it's it's sort of just a natural swelling relief oh, type thing. So if you're just looking for. We've used it a lot because my kids play soccer and they constantly say, like, my foot hurts or my knee hurts and (laughs) whatever. And I don't like to necessarily drug everybody up and, like, give you a a whole ton of ibuprofen, which, I mean, sometimes there's a time and place for that. But I found that just having some cream to put it on it sometimes deals with the minor things quite well. This isn't going to solve any, like, uh, sprained ankles or anything. But if you just have those, like, minor life aches and pains. Uh, sometimes I found this stuff helps. It might be the placebo effect, but it's if it makes me feel better, I'm going to keep buying it and using it. So, hey, you know what? I liked your book recommendation. I, re- I read that. And that was awesome. So I'm, I'm going to try this out. I've been there we running go. a yeah. lot more lately. And it, you, boy, that it, it piles up on you. That those little aches and pains. You're on a slippery slope, though, if you're just taking my recommendations blind here <laughs> moving forward. I don't, <laughs> okay, I don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, I had fun. This was a fun topic. So hopefully yeah. you all enjoyed this as well. Got some recommendations, you know, pick your favorite or, you know, the, the real React Roundup challenge is build an app that uses everything we picked today. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> including all the intense. VS Code extensions. Get some get some bottomless coffee while you're making this. Like, Does it have to really... include squirrel pictures? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it up. <laughs> <laughs> or let us all know right, what you're interested in learning. There's also that yeah. too. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Reach out. We are on Twitter. Tell us what you're building. We we find that sort of feedback very interesting. Oh, so, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Until next week. See you next week. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.